Hey, this is Joshua Brown, lead pastor here at Dream Church. Thank you for tuning in to the podcast, and we hope you enjoy this week's message. We're going to be in Genesis 25. So if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, we might be in Genesis for the next, for the rest of eternity. Um, Yeah, always have been, always will be, yeah. Um, We... So, so let me. This is just how the Lord works. Um, I'm very methodical, and so, um, and it, when I start something in a certain way, I have to finish it in that certain way. It's just like I'm weird, and so, uh, so I've been reading through a different translation of the Bible um, just to get a different perspective, and uh, so I've been reading through the New Testament as letters rather than just like certain you know sections at a time. And as I've been reading through this. Um, I got to the middle of Galatians and left my Bible that I've been reading through here at the church on, a, I think it was Tuesday. And so the next morning I wake up to spend time with the Lord. I go to grab the Bible I've been reading through and I don't have it. And so my first reaction is, you've got to be kidding me. My second reaction is, I can't even have a quiet time because I've been reading through that translation and I don't have that translation. And it's, it's like, I'm just, I'm just weird. And so I stopped and I was like, all right, Lord. Took a breath. I stopped and I was like, all right, do you want me to just pray? I'm not going to Galatians in another translation. I've got to stay in that translation. So do you want me to just pray? Do you want me to, you know, read something else? What do you want me to do? And I heard the Lord whisper to go read about Jacob and Esau, which I have read. If you've been around here, I've been reading through Genesis for a year. And um, and so I've read that story countless times over the past little bit. And uh, so I just went back and, and read it, and the Lord started teaching me something. I would have never seen had I not taken that moment in that morning to say, you know what, I don't have what I've normally been doing. If my method hadn't have been interrupted, I would have never seen this. And so before I go in, I just want to encourage you to let him mess up your method sometimes. Not, I mean, not every time. Like Sometimes the Lord will, will teach you stuff as you're doing, but, but in the mornings or whenever you spend time with the Lord, I would encourage you to do mornings, but... It's totally your thing. But when you wake up, and since then I've been doing this, it's like, all right, I think I know what I'm going to do, but Lord, if you want to tell me something else, go ahead. And, um, and so I want to encourage you, just let him mess with your box, because um, there's a lot of stuff that he'll conceal specifically for the moment that you say, you know what, what do you want to do today? And then he'll say, I'll tell you what, take this turn over here. And, um, and so anyway, so that's how all this came about. I was thinking about it this morning, too. And let me just, just ramble for a second. I was thinking about it this morning, too, and uh, thank you. She hates rambling as much as everybody, or he hates rambling as much as everybody else. Um, literally, as soon as I said, let me ramble, he started, Theo started crying. So um, he, was, he was prophetically speaking for everybody else. But um, anyway, I was thinking about it this morning. I don't, there hasn't been one Sunday that I've preached at this church that I've had to go and say, what am I going to preach about this week? And, uh, and that's so weird because I remember growing up, I wasn't a pastor necessarily, but I remember preparing devotions or preparing words in between songs, leading worship and stuff like that. And it was always, I've got this song, I've got this moment. Now, what can I go in scripture and find to throw in that moment? It was very just like me. Well, since the church has started, every single message I've ever preached has just been the Lord surprising me with something and that becomes the word. So um, effortless. And so that's kind of how I inherited this. And so um, I, I want to pray over um, this before I deliver it, because I really want to give this to you guys in the way that I got it. Um, 
And so if y'all would, I don't do this a lot before we preach, but if, if y'all would, would y'all just pray with me real quick and then we'll go in. Um, Yahweh, I just, I'm, I just pray that you would put the same fire behind this that you put when you gave it to me. The same burning that happened within me as you started delivering some of this stuff to me. I pray that would happen right now in the moment, whether it be beyond a screen or right here in person. I pray that you would just begin to stoke something in us as this, is, as this word goes out. And so, Lord, we love you. Your word will not return void. And so we release that in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so when I first started Dream, when we first started Dream, it kind of feels like it was me in the beginning, but some of y'all were here. Um, I began to introduce a new way of life specifically for the southern born and raised Christian. In the beginning, that was, that was everything we did was introducing true Christianity, which nine times out of ten contradicted southern Christianity. Not new because it was newly created. New because we had gone so far off of the way, as it were, that generations have only known a skewed version of Christianity. The one that celebrates superstars, Massive gatherings, momentum, rock shows, and TED Talks. Let me say this one more time. Is this too loud for y'all? Good. Okay. Okay. We, for generations, have only known a skewed version of Christianity. The one that subconsciously or consciously celebrates superstar preachers, massive gatherings, momentum, rock shows, and TED Talks. The one where relevancy and fame hold more of an honorable place in our ministries than presence does. The one that has to immediately result in success or numbers to claim that that thing is a success. So uh, this isn't the message, but this is, this is in the beginning... Every, some of y'all were here in the beginning. Every single thing I did, every single thing we taught was, this is how the church is, but this is reality. And most of the time, those went against each other. Because that's what, that's what happens is when you spend years and years and years uplifting people, those people begin to realize that the audience is uplifting them, and therefore their posture turns away from the Lord and to the audience that's uplifting them. And so you have a back and forth of everybody worshiping a superstar pastor and the pastor doing everything to appease the ones that are worshiping him as a superstar pastor. And so it goes back and forth and back and forth, and then we start having the conversation, you know what, what if worship, instead of doing all those hymns, what if we added a bunch of lights and a bunch of fog and a bunch of stuff in here? I bet you unsaved people would come into the doors, to which people who have built up their ego in ministry say, more people in the doors, amen. And so we, we start going down this trend back and forth of appeasing or stroking the ego of each other rather than having a posture of I want him and him alone and anything else that has to fall in the process it's got to go and the early church was totally opposite they got killed because they wouldn't look like the world you know what I'm saying because they refused to submit to the standard of the culture around them they got killed today we submit to the standard of the culture around us because we want to reach everybody in our culture. 
And the idea behind that, this is all review, by the way. I'm just telling you where we're coming from. The idea behind that concept, the idea behind that is great. We want to, I want to see all of Columbia saved. I do. Everybody else, do y'all want to see all of Columbia saved? I, I don't think the way to do that is to try to appeal to where they are. I think the way to do that, me personally, the way Jesus did it, is to introduce such a way of living that it causes their inferior way of living to look at that and say, that looks like light, this does not look like light, therefore I want that light. It's the same situation. So Alabama wins every single football season. They just win, right? So what do the other programs that aren't winning do. They hire the coaches on Alabama's football staff. Why? Why do they do that? Because Alabama's winning. So where the standard is raised, it causes the inferior standard to compare itself to the raised standard and say, we have not cut it even close. Therefore, we need to try to shoot to what they are shooting for in order to have success, right? And so what Jesus did was not come into the world and act and sound like a Pharisee, which Pharisees were all political. All they wanted was success in the eyes of Rome. Jesus comes in and does everything completely opposite of how the Pharisees do it. They start getting mad, but while they're mad at him for not being religious, all the other people who the Pharisees would reject are actually getting saved and healed. So, so what is he doing? Is he's introducing the heavenly standard so that those who are in the world but call themselves heavenly can compare themselves to the actual true heavenly standard and see how not of heaven they are. So, so the only way to tell if something's lukewarm is to introduce something that's hot and when you compare something lukewarm to something that's hot, you start to realize what you have is actually lukewarm. Let me, let me say it like this, all right? Hopefully y'all are still with me. If you have something lukewarm and the only thing you can compare that to is something that's cold, guess what you'll call something that's lukewarm? Hot. So what we have is a, is a, a church culture as a country that's ice cold. And the moment somebody moves from cold to lukewarm, they're seen as hot and then they're uplifted. The issue is, is the thing that scared Jesus the most was those that were lukewarm. So we, so we build ministries off of people who were lukewarm because they look hot compared to everybody else that's cold. And what begins to happen is the lukewarm person leads people into a lifestyle of being lukewarm. And all of a sudden, you have a bunch of lukewarm Christians walking around that call themselves Christians but look nothing like Christ. So, so in my opinion, what do I know? In my opinion, I believe the true way to save our cities is to have such a life that looks so much like Christ that it causes everybody else who thinks they look like Christ to all of a sudden see a higher standard, a more excellent way that calls or disciples them from lukewarm into actually being hot. So, so people around, let me say it like this. I didn't know of a healing culture in Colombia whatsoever. There might have been one. I didn't know of it. 
we start the church and start praying for people. And do you know what happens? All of a sudden, you start seeing churches around here start praying for the sick. Big churches that never prayed for the sick, all of a sudden are starting to pray for the sick. Why? Because they're looking and saying, man, why, why don't we do that? But they, they never saw, and I'm not saying that's nothing for us. That's just when the true kingdom is introduced into the world, all the other kingdoms fall. Right? Okay? So when we started the church, that's what we started on. My, my, my mantra in the beginning, which I had to prove it, was if five people show up, we'll still do this. And there was many Sundays, there was only five people there. Right? So the Lord made me prove that. But, right? Amen? Maybe less. Um. I mean, if you take away families, that, that really might have been zero. But, um, but anyway, we were content on being kingdom people if it cost us everything. I didn't want something lukewarm. I don't want to be a superstar. People from all over the world listen to the podcast and watch the live stream every week, and I zero times post that on social media. You know why? I don't care. I think it's awesome. I don't want people to look at me and say, man, that guy's reaching millions. I want people to look at this and it sparks something in them to say, you know what? Maybe I should go hang out with Jesus a little bit. So that's what we started this on, okay? And I feel like today, it's like, man, Josh, that's harsh. I'm just telling you where, how we started. So today, I just felt the Lord before we move on any further, because we're about to move into some crazy stuff as a church. I mean, we are. When all of us get back together, which next week we're shooting for that, by the way. But when all of us get back together in one room, I'm just telling you, you better have a new wineskin. You, I mean, you better have a new wineskin or what he's going to pour out will make you burst. I, and I say that in love. I want you to have it. I want you to keep it and receive it and stretch and all that stuff. But the wineskin season is right now. So the reason I feel like the Lord wants to take us back to a foundation is, number one, a lot of y'all weren't here in the foundation season. But number two, there's multiple moments I feel like you have to go back to the beginning and make sure the foundation is still intact. Because in 20 years, when there's cracks all over the house, the only thing you can do is spend a lot of money to try to go back and fix where the foundation has issues. I don't want that. I want our kids and great-grandkids and great-grandkids to keep going glory to glory to glory to glory and not have to go back and say, you know what, I really wish they hadn't let this stand. And so uh, today we're going to go back and look at a couple of things in the foundation, and we're going to be at Genesis 25. So um, as we do this, before I go into that, I just want to read something that I've read a couple of times over the years, and, um, but this has been maybe the most impactful thing I've ever heard or received in my entire life. And it's a quote. Um, it's a couple of paragraphs long, but I just want you to hear this. Some of y'all have never heard it. By a man named er, uh, Apostle F. Nolan Ball. Some of you may know him. Um, he was a spiritual grandfather of somebody that I just honor to the crazy amounts, uh, honor in crazy amounts, which is Damon Thompson. But um, I heard this, and this might be the true north, if anything in my life has been a true north in my whole life. So I want you to just receive this for a moment. <clears throat> he says, true success is not achieved. True success is received. Worldly men have faith in their work. Kingdom men work out their faith. Worldly men cause others to know their methods. Kingdom men cause others to know their God. The success of worldly men 
can be defined by certain observable methods, methods that can be cataloged, emulated, and sold for profit. The success of kingdom men is attributed to only one thing, obedience to the spoken word of Yahweh. While that obedience may be manifested in observable acts, emulation of those acts by others will never bring the hope for success. Therefore, the kingdom man's success does not produce much in the way of a product that can be marketed and sold at great prices, bringing great wealth to the man. But the kingdom man's success does cause glory to be given to Yahweh. Worldly men base their success upon information. Information that can be cleverly edited to smooth away the rough edges, cleverly packed, packaged, advertised, and marketed in order to bring great wealth to its author. Kingdom men know that their success is based off of their uncompromised obedience to a revelation from Yahweh. And this is, this is the main point of this right here. True revelation is biting, sharp, provocative, challenging, and ever-present threat to the status quo. Therefore, kingdom men are almost always misunderstood, lonely, and rejected in their time. Most often remaining a voice crying in the desert. They are recognized, honored, even revered, but always by another generation, never their own. Therefore, kingdom men are content to be the fathers of a remnant, the keepers of the flame, the preservers of the seed, and the protectors of tomorrow's Abraham's, Isaac's, Moses's, John the Baptist's, and yes, even the Christ. No wonder that heaven and earth together cry out for the manifesting of the sons of Yahweh. I, could, I mean, we could just stop right there. F. Nolan Ball, he, he passed away last year. He was a man who um, started something very similar to this. Back then, no one called anybody apostles. Today, really, a lot of people don't. But back then, people really didn't. And so when he started being seen as an apostolic father, so many people left him. He spent his whole life being rejected. He passed away last year and has seen fruit upon fruit upon fruit upon fruit because he was content preserving the flame. He didn't need to be known. And I, I wonder... I wonder, in fact, I was listening to something that, that Damon uh, said this week, but if you, if you took a list of those who started great and ended poorly, you would have countless numbers of people listed on that list. I mean, people who started great and ended poorly. If you had a list of people who started great and ended great, you, you would have a very hard time finding those. They're there. And why is that? I, I believe, personally, I believe it's because somewhere along the line, you start great, and the minute people start recognizing, man, that person's anointed, or man, that person's talented, or man, that person has money, the minute we realize that, we shift just slightly. We shift from focusing on the true seed that Yahweh birthed in us when we started well 
and instead start focusing on the whispers that, you know what, you're really good at that. Man, you, could, you can really sing. You could really go some places. You should try out for American Idol or whatever. And we, we start hearing those whispers, and you know what we do? We take our eyes off of that, and we start putting our eyes on this. And I can package this to sound right. I've done it. I, I mean, I can pack, and this isn't all about ministry, but let me just give you my story. I can package me focusing on people very cleverly, and it'll sound very biblical. But at the root of it all is not what Jesus wants for my life, and it's not what Jesus wants for your life. He doesn't want me to focus on people. He wants me to focus on him. And as I lift him up, he begins to draw men unto him. I don't have to draw anybody unto him. I have to stay fascinated with his eyes on a day-in and day-out basis. And this is the moment. This is the moment that people have to choose this. When you start out, a lot of people, when they first get saved, people, what's, the, what's the best moment of your life? Most people will say, the moment I got saved. That is not the best moment of my life. The best moment of my life was this morning spending time with the Lord. That's how it should be. But a lot of people will say that moment, and it's because in that moment, something gets lit within you. And so you'll go a week reading your Bible, and in that week you'll pray, and in that week you might listen to some worship music, but then after that week, here's this word, boredom comes in, and you start saying, you know what? Let me just see what's going on on social media. And you'll blink, and five days later you haven't touched your Bible. And then you'll blink, and ten days later you haven't prayed. You're still going to church, right? What, what happens is in those moments, you've got to make the decision, I'm going to tend the flame rather than be fascinated with the flame that comes from kerosene. And I've used this example before, but in order for you to tend a flame long term, you know what you got to do? You got to wait. So you'll throw some sticks in and some leaves in and some newspaper, if you're me, throw newspaper in and you'll light it and then you'll throw logs in. And it's a long process. Or you could go grab some kerosene, throw it on it, light it up, and boom. And then about 30 seconds later, you know what you got? Nothing. Get a lot bigger flame and you get a lot better show with the kerosene. And it's a lot more immediate. But you're not burning in 30 minutes. You're not burning in an hour. You're not burning in an hour and a half. And so what we do is because it gets bored, because we get bored with our walk with the Lord, which, by the way, if you're bored with your walk with the Lord, you're not doing it right. I'm not bo- I've been doing this for years. I'm not bored. It's not because I'm great. It's because I'm nothing. And I've realized that, but I've also realized I'm everything as long as I stay with him. So we'll start seeing reading our Bible as a task, and we'll stop doing it. We'll start reading, uh, praying. We'll see it as a task. We'll stop doing it. And what happens is people will all of a sudden realize all these are giving me that immediate gratification. And being in intimacy with him, it's a long process. And so for years, ministries become about instant gratification rather than this lasting beyond them. Let me ask you something. How many, you can answer this in the room or you can put this in the comment. I just want to ask, how many revivals got better after one generation? 
Great Awakenings? Nope. Brownsville? Nope. Toronto? Right? None of them got better. So does that sound like Scripture? Does it sound like the Lord for him to come and light you up for one generation and the next generation be in poverty? No. You know what it sounds like? What sounds like the Lord is him planting a seed that you have to tend over and over and over and over, and eventually one generation will start to taste the fruit, and then they'll plant more seeds, and then the next generation will taste more fruit, and then they'll plant seeds, and the next generation. That gets boring, but let me tell you something. If you'll start to see this thing right, we are not in this for immediate gratification, and neither was Jesus. That's why he was beat to death, rose again, ascended, and everybody else remained. He knew this was going to take time, and he was okay with it. Nothing good comes out of instant gratification. Let me just tell you that. Nothing good comes out of something that happens immediately. All good things require you to wait. Prove it. All right, here we go. Genesis 25. Y'all still with me? Some of y'all falling asleep. So I got y'all donuts and everything this morning. you still falling asleep on me. Um. Here's, here's a word the Lord gave me. I got, I'm going to just edit on the fly. I, I'm just going to be straight up with you. I've got eight pages of notes. Um, so I'm just going to have to do a lot of editing and a lot of cutting on the way. Uh, but this is something the Lord showed me. I'm going to drink this and I'll tell you. As I spill it all over me. Here's what the Lord said last week. He said, it will take at least one generation of unknowns for America to start being renewed. In the secret, as he was giving me all this stuff, I'm thinking about our church, I'm thinking about the state of America right now. And he says, I believe, I believe, this is me receiving this from the Lord. It will take at least one generation of unknowns for America to start being renewed. Well, Well, brother, where do you get that? You know how we got in this mess? Because of a bunch of gnomes. I, I'm going to relate this to our lives in a second. I'm just laying the groundwork. That's what we're about to read about Jacob and Esau. One of those was obsessed with hunting. Let me say it like this. One of those was, was obsessed being in the field. The other was, was obsessed being at home. And so... One of those was known for his skills. The other wasn't known at all. And the one who was unknown ends up becoming the legacy of Jesus Christ. So I believe it's going to take at least one generation of unknowns for America to start being renewed. A generation who actually says, I'm willing to lose whatever I have primarily my personal destiny, to see a legacy of intimacy rise up in this nation. Until we stop trying to be somebody, we'll never host the measure of his presence required to bring revival into America. America is right where Israel was two generations after David. We've turned from Yahweh and turned to idols. David has a son, Solomon. Solomon becomes king. Solomon is the one that builds the temple. And do you know where Israel starts going off track? He marries a foreign wife. 
And as he starts to marry foreign wives, those foreign wives bring idol worship into the God-only worshiping Israel. And all of Israel starts to turn to those idols rather than Yahweh and starts spiraling into chaos. Why? Because one man said, you know what? I'm not going to stick with these people in Israel. There's a beautiful lady right over here in Egypt. And instantly, in that moment of instant gratification, brings in not just a wife, he brings in what he was never destined for, which is foreign wives. How many of us have married something that looks good in the natural, looks immediately gratifying in the natural, but that thing has brought more curse into our lives than we ever thought it would by just simply saying yes to something we weren't supposed to? Just take that home. All right. So you have, I hope you are still with me. I'm just, this is a blast for me. You have two options in your life. No, this is a blast for me or blasphemy. If it's blasphemy, then call me blasphemous. All right. All right. That is kind of funny. Though. Um, you, so you have two options, two options in your life. And this is where we're going to go. You, you can pursue you can pursue what the system of the world offers you, or you can pursue what Yahweh offers you. Two, you have two op- options that you make every decision off of in life. What the system of the world offers you and what Yahweh offers you. 100% of the time, these are different. So, so let me say, do you make decisions that make the most sense career-wise or kingdom legacy-wise? When you make decisions in your life, is the thought, you know what, man, this is really going to advance me in my career, or is your thought, you know what, this is really going to make my legacy secure in this? And I'm telling you, 100% of the time, those two things are not the same. You know why? Because he's going to require you to live in faith. And for you to live in faith, he's going to require you to make decisions that make zero sense. Let me be the first to tell you, if anybody crucified a career, it was your boy. I, you know how many churches would give me an interview now? Zero. They wouldn't. I mean, nobody's going to interview me. Interview me. Three years ago, I could have gotten a job anywhere. But I, but I made the decision for my daughter to be burning hotter than I am. I'm going to have to rearrange my life in order to host a presence that a company of people together are hosting on a level no one has hosted before. And in doing that, it's going to create a legacy of fires burning. I didn't want kerosene. I wanted the continual flame of longing. I want to be just as hungry when I'm 80 as I am today. Josh, what's your dream in life? When I'm 90 years old, I want to wake up in the morning just as excited to see his face as I do today. That's my dream. I don't need money. I don't need houses. I'd love for my house to be paid for, but, you know, I I don't need it. You know what I need? I, I need that. I need Veda to grow up. And when somebody asks her about her dad, I don't want her to say, you know what, he had an awesome career. We had boats. 
We had cars. We had houses. We had all this stuff. I don't want her. You know what I want her to say? He's a little crazy, and everybody hates him. But, you know, it's not he's the devil, I guess. But, you know, no, but I want her to say, you know what? We didn't have a lot in the way of riches, but did he love Jesus? That, I mean, that's what, I think Stephanie Gretzinger has a new song that's kind of like that. But that's, that's what I want to be known for. I don't want to be known for what I did. I don't even want to be known for what I said. I want to be known for carrying such a fire that it caused everybody else around me to question if their fire was as much as they had access to. Not comparing. I want to be the flame that dares you to believe you can have more than what you have. You know what I mean? I want you to say, like, man, things are good, but there is so much more. So go to Genesis 25, and we'll start at verse 19. I'm going to actually read this in the Passion Translation um, just to save us some time with definitions and stuff. But um, Genesis 19, or excuse me, Genesis 25, verse 19. We're going to start there. Hopefully you are there now. All right. 25 verse 19. I keep turning to the wrong page. Here we go. 25, 19. Still the wrong page. There it is. Okay. This is how the story of Isaac begins. He was the beloved son of Abraham and the successor of Abraham's blessing. When he was 40, there's that number we talked about last week. If you missed that, go back and listen to it. When he was 40, he married Rebekah. She was the daughter of Bethuel and the sister of Laban. Both her father and her brother were Armenians from Padam Aram. Now Rebekah was unable to have children. Remember that. But Isaac pleaded with Yahweh on behalf of his wife because she was barren, and she did get pregnant for Yahweh responded to Isaac's prayer. During her pregnancy, Rebekah could feel twins thrashing and struggling with each other inside her womb. So she went to inquire of Yahweh, saying, Why do I have to live with this? And Yahweh answered her, saying, The two sons in your womb will become two nations, and the two peoples within you will become rivals. One people will become stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for Rebekah to give birth, sure enough, she had twins. The first one came out reddish and covered with hair like a hairy garment. That translation is actually the word mantle. So the first one came out reddish and covered with a mantle. So they named him Esau. His brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 when the twins were born, which means he prayed for 20 years for Rebekah's infertility to turn around, and 20 years later, they get twins. So you don't, you don't see that in Scripture. You're not, you'll just read stuff like it's written and missed stuff. Isaac, it wasn't like Isaac said, Lord, 
give my daughter or give my wife the ability to have kids, and then bam, they had kids five days later or whatever. Because that's how you read. There's 20 years between when Isaac asked the Lord for Rebecca's barrenness to be reversed and her actually being healed. 20 years. Do not stop hanging on to your promise. If you've been praying for a year for your healing or a year for your breakthrough or five years for your breakthrough, do not stop because it could be that there has to be the level of faith that you are walking in right now required to birth the magnitude of what he actually wants to birth in you. Okay, so all three patriarchs, before I'm going to move on, all three patriarchs, so Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, all of them had barren wives. The promise of God that was to Abraham had solely to do with his seed. Your children will be as the stars of the sky and sand of the beach. They will inherit this land. Every promise for Abraham had to do with children. One issue. The one thing Abraham couldn't have in the natural, a child. So he prays, and 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 then he gets tired of praying, so he goes to a slave. And then they have a kid, and that didn't fulfill him like he wanted to be. So then he prays, and he prays, and he prays, and finally, finally, Sarah has a baby. You know what happens later on? The son of the slave has to get sent away because he's persecuting the son of the promise. Every time you reproduce with something you were never designed to reproduce with, it will always be a hindrance to what you were actually designed to produce. So Isaac, the son of the promise, marries Rebekah. Her promise, his Isaac's promise, is the same as Abraham's. It's going to come through your seed. One issue with Isaac, they can't have babies either. This time he doesn't go to a slave. This time he remains. And 20 years later, they have twins. One of those twins is Jacob. And I'm going to talk about Jacob in a second. Jacob marries Rachel. Guess what Rachel can't do? Have kids. So what is it about Yahweh that he makes, he stakes the entire history of Scripture Every single thing in your Bible has to do with Abraham. All of it. He stakes the promise in the future of everything in history on a promise to someone that in the natural can't produce what the promise is even coming through. What kind of, all right, in the natural, if you're thinking about this, the one thing that all of those wives should have been able to do is reproduce like nobody's business. And yet they couldn't. Some of y'all are called to change the world. And it seems like every single time you try to get your name out or you try to step into a ministry role or you try to step into a leadership role or whatever, it doesn't work out. It's not because the Lord hasn't changed his calling for your life. It's because his timing is not yet. And in that season, you've got two choices. You can extort the promises of God and go sleep with a slave 
Or you can remain and know if he spoke it, it is done. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. My word cannot return void, but it must accomplish what I sent it to accomplish and achieve the purpose that I sent it to achieve. That's Isaiah 55. So you can either hold to the promise that if he spoke it, it's the same as you having it. Let me say it like I've said in the past few weeks. If you have the seed of a tree, you have the tree. If you plant it and tend it. So Abraham got the promise. Isaac got the promise. Jacob got the promise. I'm going to step all over my stuff because i got no room up here. Abraham got the promise. Isaac got the promise. Jacob got the promise. And all of them had to plant the seed and water it and wait. And do you know what happened? That legacy produced Jesus Christ. It produced David, but then it produced Jesus Christ. So what is it that Yahweh wants to birth in us if we'll just be still and know that he is good? That wasn't even the sermon, but both Jacob and Abraham shortcut the process and have kids with servants who weren't barren. Abraham and Jacob both short-circuit the process and sleep with slaves so that they can have kids because they're tired of waiting for the Lord. Let me say it like this, just real quick, and then we'll move on. It's easy to birth something. Career, ministry, success, relationships, all that stuff. It's easy to birth something in the flesh, so apart from God's plan for you. Easy. But birthing your kingdom design is going to take two things most lacking in Christians today. Trust and time. Nobody trusts the Lord, and nobody definitely wants to wait on the Lord. Our society is not built on waiting. Our society is built on now. That's why so many people mess up in the stock market. They want, immediate, they want immediate fruit from the stock market, and that's not how it works. You plant and you wait. But we, we live in that society, and because of that, we don't see a lot of people stepping into their kingdom purpose because they don't have trust, and they sure don't have time. So we find ourselves in a paradigm where we choose what's best for our careers over what's best for our souls. I never ask the question, what makes the most career sense? Because this isn't and was not it. I ask myself, where do I need to be rooted to tend the flame of devotion my whole life? And where I need to be rooted is where I make every decision from. And, that's, and if we could do that, we would birth the greatest movement in the history of the church. Galatians 6 says this, Make no mistake about it, God will never be mocked. Whatever you plant will always be the very thing you harvest. The harvest you reap reveals the seed that was planted. If you plant the corrupt seeds of self-life into this natural realm, you can expect to receive a harvest of corruption. If you plant good seeds of spirit life, you will reap the beautiful fruits that grow from the everlasting life of the spirit. And don't allow yourselves to be weary or disheartened in planting good seeds for the season of reaping the wonderful harvest you planted is coming. Why does Paul have to tell the Galatians to not grow weary in doing good? Because they were doing good and it was taking a long time. 
You can be doing good and not see anything. But don't grow weary because if you don't give up, you will taste the harvest of what you've planted. So in Genesis 25, uh, verse 23, and I'm going to read the rest of this story right here. Verse 23, let's start there. Okay. Uh, the Lord speaks to Rebekah and says, The two sons in your womb will become two nations, and two peoples within you will become rivals. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And when the time came for Rebekah to give birth, sure enough, she had twins. One was covered in a mantle and red. This word's going to be really interesting. And his brother came out grasping his heel. Isaac was 60. So when the boys grew up, Esau became a rugged outdoorsman and a hardy hunter. But Jacob was more contemplative, content to stay close to home. Man, I could read that verse a million and thousand, a million, one hundred thousand and five hundred times. All right. Jacob was contemplative, content to stay close to home. Isaac loved Esau because he was fond of eating wild game, but Rebekah dearly loved Jacob. One day when Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau returned from hunting and he was famished. It's a lot of irony right there. The one killing the food is starving. Ironically, Jacob's not killing anything and he's full. Smelling the aroma of food, Esau said to Jacob, I'm starving. Let me eat some of that red stuff you're cooking. This is why he is also called Edom. You're going to need to remember that for the end. Okay? So Esau and Edom, or the Edomites, are from Esau. Just remember that. I'll, I'll hit that in a little bit. Yes, but first you must trade me your birthright, Jacob replied. Can't you see I'm dying of hunger? Esau said, what good is the birthright if I'm dead? But Jacob insisted, first, swear to me that you'll give it to me. So Esau swore an oath and surrendered his birthright to Jacob. So Jacob gave Esau some lentil stew and bread. When Esau had finished eating and drinking, he just got up and walked away. Esau cared nothing about his own birthright. The translation that really, really got me this week is that word, he cared for nothing. And most of your Bible says despised. He despised his birthright. Here's the other translation of that word in the Hebrew. He cared nothing for. Or let me say this. He was careless with. Esau was careless with his birthright. So Esau, when he is born, comes out red. The word red is the word Adami, and it means ruddy or red, and comes from the Hebrew word Adam. So Esau comes out Adam with a hairy garment. That word, as I said earlier, is mantle. So let me say this. Esau came out as Adam with a mantle. Jacob comes out grabbing Esau's heel. The heel is the beginning of your step or movement. When you take a step, you step on your heel first. Some of you are, are right now just like, wait, do I? Okay. So to hinder someone's heel would be to hinder their movement. 
Jacob's name means heel grabber or supplanter. And a supplanter is someone or something that takes the place of what was there first. Are are y'all seeing this? (laughs) Esau comes out as Adam, but with a mantle. Jacob comes out grabbing the motion of Adam carrying a mantle. Could it be that Adam was never designed to carry a mantle? Therefore, the one who wasn't coming out in the image of Adam, but the one who actually bore the image of the one that his legacy would produce, Christ Jesus, was in the moment stopping the movement of Adam illegally carrying a mantle. Man, I, feel, I just feel this, I feel this just blowing through me right now. So Esau becomes a picture of the Adam nature. And Jacob becomes a picture of the Christ nature out to take the mantle Adam once held in you and I. So in verse 27 through the rest of the chapter, Esau, it says, becomes a rugged outdoorsman and a hardy hunter. That word rugged outdoorsman is a man of the field, which means in the Hebrew, a man of the land or a man of the wild. That word hunter is the Hebrew word ish, and it actually means man, but has a ton of different translations all throughout the Old Testament. And 100% of all those translations relate to the natural man or the Adam nature. So by him being a hunter, that word is actually him operating in the Adam nature. So Esau was a man who was found, who found his identity, excuse me, in what he did. Esau was a man who found his identity in what he did, which was hunting. Something that gained him instant gratification and instant notoriety. People all around would have recognized that Esau was a famous hunter. That's what Esau was. No one knew anything about Jacob. You know why? He wasn't out hunting. He was at home with mom and dad. Jacob was Tam, the word Tam, which means blameless, contemplative, meditative, and quiet. So he was content staying close to home. Esau comes home from the, are y'all with me? Okay, y'all sleep? Kyle, you sleep? <laughs> Thinking about that food? So, Esau comes home from the field after hunting and is hungry. And I I just, I see so much in that. Like, he's the one bringing the food home to the family, yet he comes home hungry to the one who was doing nothing and was full. Martha, Martha, you are worried about many things, But Mary has chosen the good portion, and I will not take it from her. Martha's out there preparing for Jesus to be in her home. Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet, and Martha comes in for Jesus to rebuke Mary for doing nothing. And Jesus says, no, Martha, you got it wrong. She's chosen the portion that won't be taken from her. (laughs) 
Esau comes home from the field after hunting and is hungry. He was at a moment where what he did did not satisfy him. He, he found his identity in what he did, and he found himself in a moment where what he did didn't satisfy him. He was hunting, and yet he was still hungry. And I know, let me, let me just tell my I won't even talk about anybody. Let me tell you my story. For years, I saw thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people saved. And do you know what I was? Starving. Starving. And now I see way less. I'm going to say it like this. I, say way, I see way less repeat the prayer. But I'm full. And my fullness has become a signpost for everybody else that's starving to go get full. Just as everybody else in this room. I know Spencer. I know Paul. I know, I know a lot of these guys who grew up the same way. And the transition that all of us have made over the past few years is not deeper into, you know, huge ministry. It's actually deeper into presence, which honestly on the outside looks like less ministry. However, we're doing more ministry now than we've ever done before because our lives are becoming our ministry rather than our words and what we do. One of those is a lot more restful and a lot more fruitful. So Esau comes home, he's hungry. He was at a moment where what he did did not satisfy him. Jacob, having built a life of rest, not based on what he did, but rather who and whose he was at home, inherits a moment of divine calling, not by works, but by rest and by home. That's huge. Jacob did nothing, nothing to inherit this moment. He simply stayed still. Esau trades his birthright for something that instantly and temporarily fills his hunger. He was, care, he was careless with your birthright. If, if you're saved, if you're saved, you have a birthright. You have an inheritance. It's the same inheritance that Christ Jesus has. Ask of me and I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. That's scripture. So all of us have a birthright if you're in Christ. But a lot of people are very careless with their birthright because there are moments that they've placed their identity in either what they do or the relationship that they're in or the social media followers that they have or the college program that they're in, and they've put their focus on that. And when that starts to not fill them up like it inevitably will not do, they start trading their birthright for a moment where they can be filled with something that's temporary because they've built an entire life on being filled temporarily. To be filled temporarily is quick. To be filled for eternity is a process. I mean, so, I mean just, just take this moment for right now. How many times have you sold your birthright for something instant? Pastor watching this, leader, whatever. How many times have you sold your birthright for something that was instant? Career people, how many times have you sold your birthright for something that made sense and everybody around you thought it made sense and it made sense for the next step in your career, but what you were actually doing in that process was poisoning your birthright? 
I mean, you know what I mean? And that's why I say it's going to take a generation of unknowns. When I mean unknown, what I mean by that, it's going to take a generation content with if it means I'm a nobody, I'll just be a nobody at home and believe at home I'm going to inherit the moment where the mantle is transferred. To the world, Jacob was a nobody. To the world, Esau was revered. The mantle was given ultimately to the one who in the natural did not deserve it. What does it mean to be careless with your birthright? It means you have devalued your birthright so much that you're willing to trade it for something that is really worthless. To be careless with, <laughs> to be careless with your birthright means that in a moment you're willing to give it up for something that means absolutely nothing in the grand scheme of things. Right? Let me, let me, say, let me say this to, to people. How far do we go? How far do we go? So, all right, some of, y- some of y'all are in, hmm. Some of you are going to have to make the decision because of your age. Let me, let me, just, let me just straight up. Are you ready? Ready? Some of you long for the day that you leave Columbia. And I'm going to tell you right now, if you're not ready, you will trade your birthright. You can, you can be mad at me. You can send me all the emails you want. Send them to don't care at Dream Columbia. No, I'm just kidding. But no, I'm, I'm totally just joking. Totally just joking. There went an email. I just saw, I heard an email fly off there. But just heard it in the spirit, you know. But um, <laughs> I'm serious. I mean, listen to me. Listen to me. We're, you're ch- chasing callings, and you're chasing what makes sense, and you're chasing all this stuff, and you're bearing fruit. And think, this is what the enemy will say. Man, you, you, just, you just listen to the podcast. You can find this everywhere else. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm not saying this because we're anything. I'm going to say this because this is just the truth. This ain't everywhere else. I can name about three other places that have this. Three in America. Most of them are in places nobody else would want to live. Batesburg, South Carolina. Redding, California. Nobody wants to live in Redding. It's not like a big city, hopping city. 10% of the city goes to their church. But I'm, t- I'm telling you, let me look, prophet, as a father, if you short-circuit this process, you'll sell your birthright. How, well, Josh, how do you know that? Because I can, I can name you 50 people right now that have done that. And, and that's not a shot. It's just reality. I, I want you to be burning 80, in 80 years. And if you have the career that you've always wanted but your flame is gone, let me just say, who cares? Who cares? But if your flame is burning and you're bagging groceries at Publix, hallelujah, I'll take that 100% of the time. Because when, when you stand before Jesus, he's not going to ask you what you did with your career. He's going to ask you what you did with your flame. And you're going to have to, whew, and you're going to have to explain to him, you're going to have to stand eye to eye and explain to him why you traded your flame for a career. Not a good day, Right? Well, Josh. Well, Josh. What'd you do? What'd you do with the with the flame I ignited in you? Well, 
I didn't really like living in Columbia, so I moved to Greenville, or what? And I love Greenville. Praise the Lord, Greenville's awesome. I mean, I'm, yeah, I moved to Greenville and attended a, lot, a great life-giving church. It's cool. Joined a small group. Joined the band, you know. Got a new tattoo, and right, yeah, with their name. And in that moment, hold up. I mean, I'm, I like tattoos, whatever. Right? But in that moment, in that moment, he's going to look at you and say, hey, that's great. What about the flame? Where'd the flame go? You know what I'm saying? This, let, me say, let me say it like this. This is not a life-giving church. This is a fire-prodding church. I'm, I'm, I, I can't give you life, Lord. I can't give you life, and neither can anybody else in this room give you life. Yeshua can give you life. So I'm not going to pose as Jesus and try to give you something that I can't really legally give you. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to keep poking the flame. And I'm going to keep giving you firewood to go home and put it on your own flame. But I'm definitely not going to be your flame, and I'm definitely not going to be your Jesus. And that causes a lot of people to go, leave and go to another life-giving church. That's fine. I'll give you a lot of lists and a lot of names. But I'm telling you right now, today, if you want your life to be seated in the promise of the inheritance that every single person watching this or is in this room has, you're going to have to get rooted. And let me say this, you're going to have to get bored. See, see, y'all were amen until I said that last part, right? Amen, amen. Right? Some, some of y'all hate Columbia because you don't see Columbia is the city of the dove. Be real careful. Be very careful hating the dove. Well, Josh, I'm just telling you right now, the dove is present in this city. Columbia is the city of the Holy Spirit. Be very careful that it's not the enemy trying to get you out of the city of the Holy Spirit. All right, I better stop right there. You can just take that home. I, I'm, I'm, sick of, I'm sick of people losing their birthright. I'm sick of people selling their birthright. I won't let you sell it. Don't come ask me. I'll tell you, I'll tell you the truth. You cannot sell your birthright. You can if you won't. But you know what I'm saying? Okay, so, man, how am I going to finish this in 30 seconds? Okay. We're just going to go past 12, so. Oh, I've only got two more pages. Sweet, we're almost done. <clears throat> that was a lie. All right. There, a, there are a lot of decisions that make sense. I'm going to go back to this in a second. I just, there are a lot of decisions that make sense now and in the eyes of those around you but are detrimental to your legacy. You will have to tr choose to trust Yahweh to give you your inheritance as you become a nobody obsessed with home and rest to protect your birthright at all costs. You know what your calling is? Your calling is two things. The face of Yahweh and protecting your inheritance at all costs. The only way this goes beyond our generation and into another is if they receive our birthright. They cannot receive a birthright we've traded away for a bowl of soup. And there are a lot of ministries and a lot of people and a lot of career people that have traded their birthright for a bowl of soup and then their kids are raised up, not in the legacy of the birthright, but they're raised up in the bowl of soup mentality and it creates a legacy that doesn't really know the Lord. So, so when, that, when you get hungry, 
and that bowl of soup starts being introduced into your life. You're going to have to say no and trust if I starve to death, I refuse to give up that birthright. He wasn't supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He was supposed to be the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. Who is Esau? Most people don't know him beyond this story. And you've got to know a lot about theology to even know that he's in the rest of the Scripture. And he's not in there a lot. So after this, Esau is forgotten. Jacob, on the other hand, still has an entire country named after him, Israel. And Yahweh calls himself the God of Israel. You have the one that was born with the mantle that is forgotten and the one that was born to stop the movement of Adam with a mantle he carried illegally as the namesake of God's people for all of eternity. The difference, a bowl of soup. And that sounds crazy. That sounds insane. Until we get hungry, and until we get bored, and you hear the enemy starts, you know what? It's not that big of a deal. You know what I mean? When you're fasting, Lord, definitely, right? But it's not, man, it's not that big of a deal. Just, just leave. You can get this other places. You got the podcast. Devil, don't you use my podcast. You know, but, you know, but you know what I'm saying? And in that moment... You're going to have to make the decision that nobody else makes because everybody says yes to that. In that moment, you're going to have to say, this is not going to make sense to everybody around me, but I got a birthright. I want him to be the God of Josh, of Veda, and whatever her kids are. That's what I want him to be. I don't want to be forgotten. And it's not because I have some kind of like ego that needs to be remembered. It's because I want to burn so bright that people can't forget. That was, y'all should write that one down. Okay. You don't want a name, but you want to burn so bright, people forget, never forget. All right. This is what the, word, the Lord said. It will take at least a generation of unknowns to change America. The church, Daniel, go ahead and hop up here. I made it. I made it. Hallelujah. The church and God's people got here because somewhere along the way, presence stopped satisfying. We became people of the field rather than people of the home. I want you to hear this. You know how many people find their identity in ministry? The reason the repeated prayer, it, listen, some of y'all might need to mute this next part, okay? The reason the repeated prayer became a thing is because we got instant gratification from seeing hands everywhere. However, most of those hands never actually got born again. So we have to do another salvation service to fill the hunger the next week. This is what we do. We see all these hands raised, but nobody gets born again. So the next moment, instead of being filled with the fact that one got born again, we have to go do a salvation service again so that 100 other people can raise their hands so that we can have another moment of our filling. 
And then what happens is because we realize that fills us temporarily, but not long-term, we shift the system and say, we got to make every week a Salvation Sunday because that's the only way we're going to be able to be filled every week. Until now, this is the moment that we have gotten to the place where we are faced with a culture that says every single thing that you do in life has to fill your instant hunger. And I see this poem, this Robert Frost thing. I see before me two paths. And I took the one less traveled, and that has made all the difference. In Genesis 27, oh man. In Genesis 27, Rebecca covers Jacob with hair so that he can go get his birthright blessing from Isaac. So in that moment, Jacob literally puts on Esau's mantle. I was thinking about this this week. I'm going to cry. I was thinking about this this week. This has been a hard, like this has been a tough season for me um, because it seems like uh, every decision, and it was needed because I grew up with a crazy fear of man. Like, I don't know where it came from. I never had some kind of crazy experience or whatever, but growing up, for whatever reason, I had this insane fear of man it would it would cause me to be paralyzed in moments of making big decisions knowing somebody was going to be disappointed and in this season every single decision that i've made it's disappointed someone and so the lord has allowed that to rise up so that he can wipe it away and i was thinking about this this week And I remember there were certain moments when the Lord began to speak to me about this church, and I knew it wasn't going to be big. Like I, I knew when you start doing kingdom work, people start leaving, not running in. And so I knew this was going to be small. And I remember, and you've heard me tell this story, I remember the moment I'm on my way to tell the place I worked at before what the Lord had been doing to me and what we were doing and all that stuff. And literally, Jordan had just quit her job, so she was a stay-at-home mom, no income. I was making the only income for our whole family. We had just bought a house. We had just had a baby. And the Lord said, I want you to go. Horrible timing. And I'm driving, and I'm putting my entire family on the line for the word that the Lord had spoken to me. I, I had seen the streets. You've heard me tell the vision of some of y'all. I, I had visions of standing at the state house and seeing Main Street, thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands worshiping the Lord. And flames all over people's head. I, I had seen all these visions and I was literally putting the future of my family and definitely my career on the altar 
just so that I could see that. So that I could see people become who they were designed to be. And I'm on my way to make this uh, known. It had only been known to me, Jordan, and a couple of our family members. And on the way, I just keep playing on repeat. King of my heart, you are good. You are good. You're never going to let me down. As tears are pouring down my face, listening to this, you're never going to let me down. You're never going to let me down. You're never going to let As I sing that, every single time it comes back around to the bridge, I believe it a little more. And then I believe it a little more. And then I believe it a little more. And then I believe it. And to the point where when I talked to the person that, you know, basically was, I was saying, hey, I'm leaving. I'm going to go start the church, all this stuff. When I talked, I had zero doubt in me that he was ever going to let me down, that he was never going to let me down. And we've never lacked anything. We've never wanted for anything. We've had excess in every single thing we've done. But let me tell you something. We would not be here. I would not be hosting what I'm hosting. My daughter wouldn't be praying prayers like she prayed over us last night. Had I said yes to the bowl of soup. I'm not saying this as somebody who just, you know, needs a big crowd or wants you to stop living in your destiny. That's not what I'm saying. I'm telling you, I've been on both sides of it. I've been on both sides of it. I have been tempted with fame. I've been tempted with riches and positions. And on top of the religious tower in the penthouse, and realized that in order to get there, I would have to trade my flame. And you know what? For years, I was willing to do it until the Lord met me one morning. And reminded me of growing up in a 20-person church in Ware Shoals, South Carolina, that everybody hated that the KKK tried to shoot down and run off and all that stuff, yet was seeing paralyzed people walk and people on crutches walk and ears open. We would have service in the morning, we would eat at the church, and then we would pray all afternoon handful of people would pray all afternoon until the night service and then we would have night service and that it was just our life I remember as a kid just walking around that church I didn't know what I was saying I remember walking around the church as everybody's praying I hear people praying in the spirit and my grandpa's praying in the spirit and they're playing some southern gospel song and all that stuff but I remember just just saying my grandpa used to say, just just plead the blood of Jesus just plead the blood of Jesus just plead the blood of Jesus I didn't know what I was saying I was just like plead the blood of Jesus you know over and over and over the Lord met me one morning and started reminding me of all the encounters I had as a kid where I would be in my room and angels would show up. And Jesus, I had one vision. Jesus showed up in my room and laid his hand on my back. I had visions of angels surrounding my room in the middle of the night as I laid in the floor and cried. And he met me and said, you, you cannot... You cannot trade this for what you are about to trade it for or else it will cost you everything. 
And this is a moment. This is a moment right here. You've been at home. You've been bored. You've been dreaming. You've been thinking of what's next. You've been seeing that the grass is greener on the other side. And I'm speaking to a group of people as a spiritual father saying, be careful that you are not pursuing what will actually cost you your birthright. I can, I can just, I can feel the Lord moving in people right now. Just go ahead, just bow your heads right now. Just, just take a moment. Don't look around. Don't look around. Let the Lord, let the Lord do some surgery this morning. Let the Lord adjust some things this morning. If you're watching this at home, just, just take a moment. Just, I know it's lunchtime. I know kids are hungry and all that stuff. Just take a moment. What, what are you selling your birthright for? Maybe you've been hungry. Maybe, maybe you haven't been satisfied lately, and yet you're doing a lot. And so you've questioned why you're not satisfied because you're actually doing a lot. And the Lord is saying this morning, it has nothing to do with what you're doing. It actually has everything to do with what you're not doing, which is being still. Do you know what the Bible says? I sent this um I sent this to you guys on GroupMe this week and none of y'all had any idea what the Lord was doing in me. We uh you can open your eyes. We um we're just I sent a verse to uh to this group me that some of us have and uh Spencer posted a picture about planting um, which I need some of those beans, by the way. Um, but about planting beans and waiting and stuff like that. And the Lord reminded me of this verse in Amos, which is, some of y'all have never read the book of Amos, but it's really good. But listen to this. I'm actually going to read this in the message translation. I just, just, just hear this for a minute. The last, this is the last thing in this book, the prophet Amos speaking. On that day, excuse me, on that judgment day, I, Yahweh, will restore David's house that has fallen to pieces. I'll repair the holes in the roof, replace the broken windows, and fix it up like new. Now remember, Esau's people were called Edomites, or Edom was Esau's name. I didn't plan this. The Lord did this. Okay? I'll fix it up like new. David's house. David's people will be strong again and seize what's left of the enemy, Edom. Plus, everyone else under my sovereign judgment, God's decree, he will do this. What's he going to do? 
He's going to fix the house like new. When's he going to do it? When you seize every piece of you that is still related to Esau. David's people will be strong again and seize what's left, the pieces that are left of Edom. And when that happens, this is your promise. Listen to this. Yes, indeed, it won't be long now. Things are going to happen so fast your head will swim. One thing fast on the heel of another thing fast. I didn't even see this before, but it starts mentioning the language of the heel right there. One thing fast on the heel of the other. You won't be able to keep up. Everything will happen, will be happening at once, and everywhere you look, blessings. Blessings like wine pouring off the mountains and hills. I'll make everything right again for who? For my people, Israel. Who is Israel? Jacob. Listen to this. This is a prophetic word if there's ever been one for us in this next season. They will rebuild their ruined cities. They'll plant vineyards and drink good wine. They'll work their gardens and eat fresh vegetables. And I'll plant them. Plant them on their own land. They will never again be uprooted from the land that I have given them. God, your God, says so. And the book closes. Seize what's left of Edom. I'll make everything right again for my people, Jacob. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information on Dream Church or to give, visit dreamcolumbia.com. We hope you have a great week.